0: prayer in john 17 i invite you to look at verses 20 through 26 with me today and as you're turning there i just want to make you aware of um next week we'll start a new sermon series in the book of first peter i'll be uh happy to give that first message next week in chapter one so we'll be in first peter and then uh we'll do a a series on Uh, complementarianism in may which some of you might not know what that is but we'll get there and then over the summer we're going to do it on the life of david as we had talked about earlier so looking forward to heading in that direction and happy to look now together at john 17 Um, one announcement i would love to make is that uh, as levi mentioned earlier we will be having a night of prayer february the 26th here and the design of that is meant to be fostering a time where we can move throughout the building and pray for different things. Um, Each room having a few different things that we can pray for, having a lead over that room, guiding us through times of prayer in smaller groups, but also having some space where if you need to get alone and pray by yourself, we'll have some space where you can go and just sit and pray. But the goal is that God would birth within us what he commands us to be a house of prayer. For all people, So we invite you to put that on your calendars to come and be a part 630 to 830. Um, any of you who have children four and under, please RSVP because we would like for you to let us know that we will provide child care, but we won't have enough workers if you don't RSVP. So four and under all those who have children over that, we invite you to bring them along so that uh, we can pray together uh, and they will be able to be a part of that. And we would love to pray as a church. So Looking forward to February 26th and invite you in uh, to be a part of that. One last comment about that is it's from 630 to 830. And if some of you feel like I could only come for an hour, it will be broken up enough to where you, if you have to leave, you can. So what we want is for you to come. We'll gather, sing, pray, and enjoy each other. Let's look at the Bible together. I'm going to read verses 20 through 26 of John 17. That's our passage for today, and then I'll pray. The Word of God says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, Even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that every word of yours proves true. And Father, I just ask that you would help us to have a soft heart to receive your word to us today. I pray that you would make us humble to not try to make this say what we want it to say. But that, Father, your Holy Spirit would ring true and that your word would say what it says. We would trust you. We would love you and one another and you would unite us together by love. Father, we ask for your mercy upon this time. Please, oh God, shape us to look more like Jesus. We need your help so desperately. We're fragile, we're weak, we're anxious. We carry a lot of burdens. Help us in these moments to roll them onto your capable, loving shoulders. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. United by Love. The title of today is United by Love. Last night, I was watching the game. If you live in North Carolina, it is the game of this season, the game of Duke versus the UNC Tar Heels. Now, there is lamenting, there is celebrating all different Versions in this room right now and then there's indifference from some I get that especially NC State fans, but What I observed was remarkable As I'm watching this TV screen and thousands and thousands of fans Because the game at the end was so up and down. It was remarkable just to watch the expressions like The euphoria when they would score, and I mean, it looked like nobody had ever met a stranger. Everybody had this common sense of celebration, and then when it looked like the visiting team was doing well all of a sudden it was like this massive sense of corporate downcastness only to have euphoria again only to have sadness I mean the front of WRAL as I saw it last night and maybe this morning is Roy Williams like this and I think that's this collective picture of the Tar Heel fans it's just like you know and what does that what creates Thousands and thousands of people to have these unified expressions. And not just in the room, but TV sets all across the state and probably the nation. This kind of unified expression. It's love. You love the same team. You're for them. It's what they talked about when they talked about the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna and the other seven that were killed with them. When the Lakers were asked how they are coping or handling the death of Kobe, it says that they have, it had brought them together in love. It's like basketball was up here, and then when that happened, it was put in its appropriate place. And a love for a friend united them together. Love unites. It unites in weeping. It unites in rejoicing. Love unites. Today, Jesus is praying. As we look at this passage. For a unity defined by love. A unity made possible by love. Here's the two main things that I think we will see in this passage. It could be phrased this way. United for unity and loved to love. Or. Explained in broader terms, united people live as unified people. United people, united to Jesus, they live as unified people to one another. The second main idea, loved people live as loving people. Jesus is praying these two realities Before the Father, and the prayer could sound something like this in summary. Two sentences. Father, they are bound to us by faith. Bind them to each other. The prayer could go, Father, they are so loved by us. Fill them with love that they might love like we have loved them. This is Jesus' prayer. Bind them to us, to God, and to each other. Fill them with love that they might love. Now, disclaimer. The first point is remarkably longer than the last point. Okay? So, I don't want you to panic. I don't want you to get all nervous and squeamish. First point's longer. Okay, here we go. The first point is this. United people... Live as unified people or say it briefly, united for unity. Look at chapter 17, verse 20. Those of you who are new, we just try to allow the Bible to speak. So I want to explain as best I can what the Bible says. God's word is speaking to us. So we want his meaning here. It says this. Jesus is praying. I do not ask for these only. Who are the these only? It is. Those who have been walking with him, his disciples, he has prayed for himself in the first part. He's prayed for those who were walking with him. And now he's praying for a third group in the passage that we have today. But he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Through the word of those who have been walking with me, they're going to proclaim jesus who is the word they're going to proclaim jesus i want you to notice this we are included in this prayer we are evidence that this prayer is being answered that the word has gone forth and people for generations upon generations years upon years have heard that word their hearts have toppled to fall in love with jesus he's prayed it we're evidence that it's happening If you trust in Jesus Christ. And so he says, I'm praying not just for those who are with me, but I'm praying for those who will hear the word that they will proclaim and that they too will believe in me. I'm praying for them. But what's he asking? Look at verse 20 again. I do not ask for these only. What is he asking? Hit the rewind button and go up to verse 17. Let's look at 17, 18, 19. He says this sanctify them or set them apart in the truth your word is truth god's word completely true and what is so remarkable this word is a living word and as it goes forth it does something in the heart desires flip allegiances shift people who were solely for themselves now remarkably want to live for another his name is jesus through this word And he's saying with that same word that gives new life, may that word set them apart, make them set apart, make them more like Jesus. But here's what I thought Pastor Travis did wonderfully last week. This juxtaposition of verse 17 and 18, the closeness of 17 and 18. It's not make us look more like Jesus so that we can just look really good and righteous. It's so that... We live sent. We live lives of contagious love so that when they look at our lives, the love of Jesus is shed abroad to everybody who sees us. That's what it says, right? As you sent me into the world, verse 18, so I sent them into the world. So that's what he's asking. Make them holy, make them look more like Jesus so that they can go out and spread Jesus where they are. Now, let's keep reading. I do not ask for these only, but also for all those who will believe in me through their word. And oh, how I pray, even some might believe today. But there's an aim. Verse 21, that they may all, and let's say the next two words together, be one. They may all be one. There is something that mysteriously unifies us as believers now and connects us to followers of Jesus all throughout history that we all may be one. This is his primary prayer. You see it here in verse 21 that they may all be one. Look at verse 22. I've given them to you that they may be one even as we are one. And look at verse 23. I and them you and me that they may become perfectly one. <laughs> He's like knocking on my dull skull saying, "Okay, do you get what I'm praying here? I'm pleading that they might be one." The remarkable the remarkable nature of this prayer that people across all ethnic backgrounds, all economic backgrounds that they would be one. What would unify a people like that? What kind of oneness is he speaking of? He goes on to say, verse 21, look at it with me, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. There's something about the mysterious unity between the Father and the Son that is the foundation for our unity with one another. So we've got to kind of, Ask God to help our early morning brains kind of stretch and comprehend, dive in a little bit to what it means that just as you are in me and I in you, Jesus says, that that is going to help make them one. I was reading a commentary by a guy named D.A. Carson, and he says this, trying to pry open some of these mysteries, some of these difficult statements of the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, one God, yet distinct persons. What in the world is this? He Here's a quote for you. Maybe it'll help. The father is actually in the son. So much so that we can be told that it is the father who is performing the son's work. It'd be like my son saying, I clean the dishes. And yet it would be like me coming along and saying, yeah, I clean the dishes. My son would say, no, I clean the dishes. And I would say, no, I clean the dishes. It's that kind of mysterious unity that they can talk this way because they're one. The father is actually in the son so much so that we can be told that it is the father who is performing the son's work. Yet the son is in the father, not only in dependence on and obedience to, but he is the father's agent in creation. When the father creates, the son is creating and his son that is jesus in redemption in the redemption and preservation of the who the those that the father has given to them when the father keeps his people it said that the son is keeping his people they're doing the same things they're one and yet they're distinct the quote goes on to say the father and the son are distinguishable that is the pre-incarnate word jesus is said to be with god that Makes them sound distinct, right? Jesus is with God. The son prays to the father. That makes them sound distinct. The father commissions and sends out the son. That makes them sound distinct. While the son obeys and yet they are one. There's the mystery laid out. And he says that's crucial for our unity with each other. Yeah, I spent a long time trying to think through that one. How does this affect our unity with each other? The quote goes on, and I think this is helpful. Similarly, the believers, that's anyone who professes faith in Jesus, the church, similarly, the believers, still distinct, are to be one in purpose and love, in action, undertaking with and for one another, and in joint submission to the revelation received. What does this mean? Just as the Father and the Son have one purpose and one love. Focused on one glory, the glory of God. We too have one purpose, one love. We work together. Actions together for one another. And we are in joint submission to Jesus Christ and his word. That is what unifies us. And he goes on to say this. There's something else that contributes to our unity. Look at verse 21. I mean, we're in the deep end of the pool. I get it. Let's just keep reading. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So now the church is in God. You might read it in the book of Ephesians it says regularly you're in Christ. It speaks about this union that you have with Jesus. If you trust in him alone for the forgiveness of your sins, you are united to him. Now, John talks about this earlier in John 15:4 to 5. We've read these verses quite a bit as we've looked at this chapter. But I want to read him again. It says, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. We must be in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit, that is, unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I use this... um, And thanks for your prayers. I was able to preach at Southeastern Seminary um, a little bit ago. um, I forget, last week, something like that. Anyway, and I used this there as well. found it extremely helpful for my heart, if you could put these images up. So what we have here is on this side, that is my left, you have a branch that is broken. It's not completely severed from this root, but it is broken. And when you look at these trees, what could create some sense of brokenness? It could be an animal that runs by and hits that branch and creates a brokenness. It can be a strong storm that zips through, and these natural disasters kind of break the branch. But right now, this branch still has some life to it. We can experience some brokenness as well, too, correct? Our own personal suffering could be a loss that we experience, death, a loss of a job. could be relational tension, criticism. It could be just struggle as a student, struggle relationally with roommates or in your marriage, confusion, raising kids. A lot of these things, they can begin to pull you away from true north. They can begin to break you away from your roots. And Jesus just is praying here. May they remember they're in Christ. May they remember that they don't have to be separated, but they can abide in Christ. That's the second image. There's this invitation regularly that Christ is able to bind up the wounds. He's done so on the cross. He's given us His Holy Spirit to come and to bring healing. And He binds us up. Literally, this tree can grow back together and produce fruit again. Because it's still attached to the vine. It's still attached to the roots. And Jesus is saying and praying here, Oh God, keep Your people attached to Me. What characterizes them And what gives us hope for unity is not only that the Father and the Son are completely unified, but that we are invited into that unity and told to rest in Him, trust in Him, lean on Him so that we can bear fruit. These are the foundations that Jesus is laying for our unity. We are united to Jesus. What does that mean? It means His death is our death. When He died on the cross, He took our sin. And if we trust in Him, we die to sin, just like He died His physical death. When He was raised from the dead, His resurrection is our resurrection. It means we can be made new. New creations and alive. When He was given a glorified body after His resurrection, it's a foretaste that one day our bodies will be glorified. And right now we are new creations longing for that. Moment. His victory is our victory. His purposes are our purposes. His Father, our Father. His pursuit of the Father's glory, our pursuit of the Father's glory. All that is His is ours. We're united to Jesus. That's what it means in this passage, and that's the foundation for our unity, is that we're all united to Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of sins, if He's your Savior, you're repenting of sin, as imperfect as we all are, and you're leaning on Him, we have one Savior, one Lord. We love Him. We live for Him. We want to build one another up. We want to live sin. We have these same purposes. Jesus is praying, God makes him one just as we are one. So we're unified as Jesus' people, as word people, as sent people, as united people into Christ. And so I ask, why is it so hard? If oneness is what is prayed for. And oneness is something that we can have. Why is oneness so difficult? Do I get an amen for crying out loud? It is difficult. Why is it so difficult? We have a Savior who is more glorious than anything in the world. Our sins have been forgiven. We've been given a commission that with just speaking His words, people's lives can be radically altered. We can say things and it build one another up. Why is it so hard? It's hard because we still sin. Why is oneness so difficult? Because we still sin. Although we've been made new in Christ, there's not one person on planet Earth who is perfect. And 1 John says, if you say you are, you're a liar and the truth isn't in you. Not one of us. Not one of us are perfect. Even those united to Jesus, we are being made new. We are new, being made new. We still succumb to selfishness. We still crave comfort over Loving others. We still fear man more than God at times. We are not careful with our speech. We get swept up into the wave of negativity of our culture and the world. Sin still exists. And if oneness, as Jesus will say here in a little bit, if oneness communicates the sufficiency and glory and goodness and love of Jesus to the world, then it makes complete sense why Satan hates oneness. He doesn't want us to display the beauty and sufficiency and glory of Jesus. So not only do we have sin in our own hearts, but there is an enemy who is hell-bent on destroying the church and dividing the church because he doesn't want Jesus to look beautiful to anyone. Satan opposes anything that would portray the truth and beauty of Jesus. Sin exists. Satan opposes these things. Why is oneness so difficult? You know, because we are not only sinners inside, and there's not only opposition from without. This world is broken. How we talk to each other is broken. I was reading this book the other day. It's called "Thanks for the Feedback." It's not written by believers. These are, and one author might be a believer, but it's a, it's a kind of a Harvard uh, study kind of book. And as they were looking at it, they were looking for over twenty years. How can they bring peace into the workplace? It was like, Amen. Let's do this. How's this happen? And. Leaders need to learn to be careful with their speech. Can I get an amen? Yes. As a leader, I need to be careful with my speech. That's a hard thing. You've got to do it. In the book, here's where they went, though. We can't put all the onus on the one who is sharing information. What he says is this. They have found that they have not done enough training on teaching people to pull rather than to push. And I didn't know what that meant. So I was like, is that supposed to help me? It's this. To push is to say. That's what you meant. And I didn't like that. And so I'm just going to push. I'm going to push you out. I'm going to push my thoughts into what you said. Pulling is completely different. So if I ask you this. What's your street name? This was a literal question that was asked to somebody. And this guy answered this. My name is Little Ricardo. And I was like. What? Because when I heard, what's your street name, I thought, okay, my address, I live at this address, you know, this street, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27610. He's totally thinking, what do they call me on the street? They call me Little Ricardo. (laughs) Okay. A perfectly legit interpretation of, what's your street name? Not the one I thought of. In the book, it gave another example. A dad has two different children. He goes and talks to these two children. He says the exact same thing in the exact same tone. One child takes it away and is so encouraged and excited about how her dad affirmed her. The other child takes the exact same words in the exact same tone and feels that dad is against them. Why is that? Because our world is broken. And we have a lot of baggage, not just baggage from years, baggage from minutes. Like, I just feel bad today. And so now all of a sudden, as I listen to everything that's said, I got cloudy lenses. So I'm going to look at it with downcast lenses. Or I just read something that bothered me, and now I'm going to be bothered about all of life. And you fill all of that into what's said. And pushing just takes your understanding of what is being said, and you just shove it right in. And I tell you, it crushes relationships. Pulling is the responsibility of everyone. What did you mean when you said that? And giving the benefit of the doubt that that's what they meant. What did you mean? What do you, did you mean this? Are you trying to say this? You want to know why unity is so hard? Because this world is broken. We assume so much. Sin exists here. The devil is opposing us. And I'll give you one more. It's not the only thing. Actually, I'll give you two quick more. (laughs) Because suffering and hurt and trauma are real. Unity is hard. It's hard. And hurt can take some time to heal. But we have to be careful that hurt doesn't turn into bitterness over time. Are we facing Jesus? Are we embracing Him? Are we okay with process? But are we still facing the church? God has one plan. And there's no plan B. It's the church. As messy as we are, He's got one plan. It's the church. Take time to heal. Press into Jesus. Jesus. You don't have to be sprinting. You don't have to even be walking. Are you facing Jesus? And are you facing the fact that we need one another? But at the end of the day, the last thing that can stand in the way of oneness is forgiveness. Forgiveness is hard. And without forgiveness, we aren't understanding our unity in Jesus. Because forgiveness is a death. Do I get an amen? Forgiveness is a death. It's a death to justice as you see it. It's a death to being treated as you hoped you could be treated. It's a death. But it's also a life. Forgiveness is life that you get the privilege of To join a Savior who forgave you. The lack of forgiveness so many times is driven. It is driven by self-righteous forgetfulness of our own sin. Hear me. The lack of forgiveness many times is driven by self-righteous forgetfulness of what we really deserve. Of our own sin. But that's why forgiveness is life. Forgiveness is being reminded of how sinful we are at the cross and receiving His forgiveness and joining Him in that. There is no one that was more mistreated than Jesus. Not me, not you. And our Savior in His dying words says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That should... Set us free. And empower us to be a people of forgiveness. You say that's hard. No, that's impossible. It's impossible. That's why Jesus is praying. It's impossible without him. But can I just state something right now? I want it to be clear that oneness is not a casual prayer. It's a difficult prayer. But he doesn't mention any of those barriers in this passage not one when he prays what he's praying for is all the possibility he's praying for all the positives that oneness is something that we can have because the father and the son are unified because we are in christ and he goes on to say in verse 22 because the glory that god has shown the son is given to god's people Oneness is possible because Jesus and the Father are one. Oneness is possible because Jesus died on the cross to purchase oneness. Oneness is possible because glory has been given you and me. Now, I looked at that, and that wasn't so readily apparent as to what that meant. It was hard for my brain. As you look at it, what's he saying? I was reading a book by uh, Pastor John Piper called, I think, Astonished by God. And in the book, he states that God is. And one attribute he gives of God is God is holy. God is holy. It describes that he is completely sufficient. He is completely set apart and other from all of us. God is. He is holy and When you run up to describe God, holiness is what happens once you finish all the language that you could muster up and then you go beyond that. God is holy. He is what we cannot even begin to describe. He is perfect in ways that we can't even articulate. He is holy. Glory, Piper says, is when His holiness goes public. When His holiness, that is His essence, Becomes a public display to the world. That's glory. If you say you glorify something. It's attached to an action. If a musician is playing music. They might have all this massive talent behind the scenes. But until they sit there and they play that song. That's when you say that music was glorious. Because everything that was inside is now coming out. Same with sports. doesn't matter how much they practice, how much they say they're talented. When it comes out and they make that amazing catch, when they hit that last second shot, sorry some of you, when they hit that, you would say that's glorious because what's on the inside comes out. And he's saying, Jesus is the perfect picture, the exact picture, imprint and representation of all that god the father is in his essence jesus is that on display jesus is god going public god coming to us and he's saying that because i came to you you now have that glory that i'm coming and i'm going to live inside of you so that your life is making god go public to the rest of the world my life your life We are lives given His glory to make God go public. And He's saying that that is a common function we all have that unifies us. Where do I get that? Look at the verse, verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. The glory that you, Father, have given to the Son, I have given to them. The going public of God. I'm giving to them. I'm coming to live inside of them so that they may be one around that common purpose and mission of making God look great. Sometimes when I go to study, I'll go to Starbucks and I'll put in my little earphones and I'll just zone out and I will study there, sometimes hours. When I come home and I see my sweet wife and I give her a hug, she'll say, you've been to Starbucks, haven't you? <laughs> I was like, why, why does she say that? Because I smell like Starbucks. It's hard to stay in a coffee shop for over an hour and without smelling like it. And that's what Jesus is praying for here. He said it's been given to you that the people of God are meant to smell like the glory of God. People are meant to be able to be around you and say, something's different there their allegiance is different their love is different their affections are different there is glory on display with their lives and sometimes the the brightest that glory shines is on the backdrop of suffering that even when you have experienced so much pain and you feel like you're holding on by the thread of dental floss and you're just hanging there and you have zero strength and yet you're Clinging to Christ, the brightness of the glory of God shines that He's worthy. He's worth it. Dear friends, united people, united to Jesus, they are meant to make their aim unity because the glory of God is at stake. Now, with just literally a paragraph or two, the last point. Told you, lopsided like crazy. We're not only united to be unified, we are loved to love. Loved people live as loving people. Look at what it says in the passage. Verse 22, let's just start there because as Jesus is praying, you just see it's kind of this very massive, complicated sentence and it gives me a lot of comfort as I pray because it's not very grammatically good, but neither was that sentence. But we'll keep going. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. So he's got this, he's praying that we would grow in this unity together. It's something we grow into, but we've got to fight for. It's purchased for us. He goes on to say, so that I want them perfectly one. I'm praying that they might be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me. Our unity is to proclaim that Jesus is the sent one. He's beautiful, worth giving your life for. And our unity does something else. It shows how much we have been loved. Do you see that? I want to be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. He goes on, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world, the place where we will experience the fullness and the deepest and the widest experience of love is when we are with him in glory and jesus is praying god get them there get them to the end that they might the word says see my glory it's it's a it's a word that's used not just like a glance okay i see you move on it is a word that's like i'm setting my eyes upon and i can't take my eyes off of it it's it's like what you would experience if you were at the Grand Canyon or if you had been shot out of this atmosphere into, the, uh, into space and you're looking back at this earth. It's like time stands still and you just look and you just keep looking and keep gazing. He's saying, God, please, Father, get them there to where they see my glory because it will be so much more beautiful. So he prays, Father, get them there. And then in verse 25, he says, Oh, righteous father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. Why does he say righteous father? Because as I was reading, one commentator calls this whole chapter proleptic. I don't know if you used that word before. I didn't know what it meant. I'm just going to be like straight up like, What's proleptic? So I looked it up. Proleptic is not just anticipation that something's going to come, but it is acting as if it has already been accomplished. So as he's praying here, he's not only anticipating that he will die for sinners, he is acting as if it's already been accomplished. It's a done deal. They are unified with me. They will be one. I will die in their place. And so he says, righteous father. Because what is sending him to the cross is the righteousness of God. There must be punishment for sin. He can't just overlook the grossness and treason of sin. But also, he's saying righteous father, because righteousness in the scriptures is a relational term. It's not just individuals doing right things. It is doing right things so that community can be formed. And you be in right relationship with God. It's a relational term. So he's saying, God, Father, O righteous one, do what you must do to show them my love. Because loved ones love. And that's where we go in verse 26. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known all the way to the cross. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This phrase of the love of Jesus being in us, many commentators agree, is the person of the Holy Spirit. It is this perfect love that the Father has for the Son, that the Spirit of Christ, it says in the book of Romans, comes and dwells in our heart. And so he ends his prayer right before he goes to the cross. Father, give them my spirit. That they might be encouraged. Loved ones, love. And so I look at you, friends. You have everything you need. I have everything I need. Because we've been loved to love one another. And he he pushes us here. He pushes us that unity is possible even in the midst of all kinds of pain. It's possible because you've been loved. And so, love is not a gushy feeling. It's bloody. It's when you get punched in the mouth and you keep going. You keep praying. You keep caring. And I want to leave you with these words. And I just pray that because you know how much you've been loved by Jesus, This grid affects how you love one another. Because love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It isn't arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. That means it believes the best. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Love never fails. Because the love of Christ does not fail us. Let's pray. Father. We've all experienced hurt. We've all experienced pain. And sadly, we've all caused pain and we've all caused hurt. And so we thank You today for Jesus. We thank You for His demonstrated love for us and that while we were sinners, He died in our place. And Father, I plead, I plead that we would so remember that we are attached to Jesus that what is most important stays most important. Your glory. That we love Christ. That we want to look more and more like Jesus as imperfect as we are. And that our common purpose of holiness is so that we would also have the common purpose of being sent. Father, unite us. Because, Father, when we are not united, you get smaller, our problems get bigger, and mission gets aborted. Father, I pray that we would be united on mission to make much of your name. Please come and remind us so much of your love for us that we love one another and this world so that they would trust in Jesus. Dear friends, in a spirit of prayer, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. If you're a follower of Jesus, this meal is to declare that you are desperately in need of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a time of confession and prayer. It's also a time of celebration that He has given you everything you need To not just survive, but to thrive, to grow, to love, to do everything he's asked us to do. And so at this Lord's Supper time, I pray that there would be horizontal reconciliation. I pray that there would be a deeper spirit of unity. I pray that there would be forgiveness extended. I pray that there would just be a receiving of the love of God for you.